On this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy, you will hear from Dr. Scott Kinor, leader of the American Pharmacists Association and his priorities for our profession, along with suggestions for leaders to be effectively involved in any professional organization. Hi everyone and welcome to Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. I'm your host, Dr. Robert Weber, Chief Pharmacy Officer and Administrator of Pharmacy Services at The Ohio State University Wexner Medical Center. Powered by The Ohio State University Lachalet Leadership Program, this show is designed to keep current and aspiring health system pharmacy leaders up to date with issues, trends, and best practices affecting our profession. You can learn more about the Lashley Leadership Program and the Ohio State University's College of Pharmacy MS in Health System Pharmacy Administration and Leadership by visiting go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. That's go.osu.edu forward slash pharmacy leadership. Dr. Scott Knorr is the 13th Executive Vice President and Chief Executive Officer of the American Pharmacists Association. He received his BA in Psychology from Creighton University and his PharmD from the University of Nebraska in 1996. He then completed a two-year administrative residency with a concurrent MS degree in Hospital Pharmacy from the University of Kansas. Before his current leadership role at APHA, Dr. Kenora was the Chief Pharmacy Officer at the Cleveland Clinic, where he led an international pharmacy enterprise with a $1.4 billion drug budget and 1,558 FTEs in 18 hospitals. Scott has led leadership positions in Texas and Minnesota. He has volunteered his time to serve our profession in various organizations and has been an advocate, importantly, for transparency on drug pricing and PBM practices. He has received recognitions from his peers and to all accounts is the most well-known pharmacist in America. And we are very fortunate to have him on the show. And let's jump into our interview with Dr. Scott Knorr. Scott, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Bob. I'm thrilled to at least virtually be back in uh, my favorite state of Ohio. Yes. And I I will say I I am not uh, trying to patronize you in any way, Scott, but I believe you are probably the most well-known pharmacist in America, primarily for the courageous stand you took several years ago, which was well understood and appreciated by us all uh, in terms of drug pricing and also the lack of transparency with pharmacy benefit managers. So I think through that exposure and through your your advocacy, number one, made a difference, but number two... uh, you are sort of the face of American pharmacy from my perspective. Unfortunately, Bob, you know, I got a face for radio, you know, but I, I don't know if <laughs> famous or infamous, you know, I guess it depends on who you ask. Exactly, exactly. I mean, from, from my perspective, you're famous. And again, I've known you for a very, very uh, long time. Um, so is, is there anything I missed in your intro that you wanted uh, the listeners to know about you? Well, maybe a little bit here, but I, I'd say uh, famous is a bit of an over-exaggeration. I get maybe pharmacy <laughs> famous, right? But it's it's sort of big fish, small pond, you know? But uh, right, it's kind of funny, right. though, Bob, because, you know, I, I like you, I, I kind of grew up in the health system pharmacy world, and I thought I knew a lot of people. You know, when I got to APHA, uh, a lot of, you know, I was kind of outsider. I wasn't looking for a job. They recruited me, and a lot of people had no idea who I was. This is kind of a funny, quick <laughs> story. You know, you know, you, you did uh, the Ohio State residency, right? So, uh, yes. Cliff, I assume, with Cliff Lashley. 
Oh, I actually did my residency at Grant at Grant Hospital, and then I did my fellowship, and Cliff was involved with that. Yeah. Got it. So. Got it. Well, when I first finished my residency, no one knew who I was, and you know, I was looking for jobs. I'd be like, I'm Scott. Can you give me blank stares? You know, and I'm like. So I'm like, oh, I'm one of Harold Godwin's residents. So right away, I, they're like, oh, Harold. So I had credibility, you know. And then, you know, your own reputation like you did in Minnesota and Cleveland. I didn't have to introduce myself as Harold's resident. Well, the funny thing is, one of the really cool parts about this job is I get to call all the annual award winners. And I can't remember what. She was a little bit older gal. Uh, and it was clear she was very sweet. And, and you know. She knew I was the CEO at APHA, but she couldn't place me. And she's like, now tell me about yourself. I'm like, well, you know, I was a chief pharmacy officer. And then she wasn't getting, I'm like, I'm like, okay, I want a Harold Godwin's residence. She's like, oh, Harold, you know? So I'm like, oh my God, you know, I got a whole career here and I'm back to being one of Harold's residents for anyone knows. Oh, so is that Mary Alice Bennett recently? No, Mary Alice knows me. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I assume she did. Yeah. How cool is that for another Ohioan, right? Oh, my gosh. It's amazing. Isn't it totally amazing? The Remington Honor Medal. Amazing. Top honor in all of pharmacy, man. Amazing. I'm so happy for Mary Alice. Yeah, yeah. but I, I guess, you know, for fun, you know, what, it's kind of funny because one time shortly after my residency, you know, you don't have time for hobbies. And someone's like, what are your hobbies, Scott? And I was like, crap, I don't have any hobbies. You know, I, I got to I gotta get some hobbies. I'm an outdoorsman. You know, I like to, I like to do a little Fishing. Don't do as much as I like. I, I haven't had as much opportunity lately to do as much of that as I like. Uh, sure. But, you know, I also like cars. I'm a, I'm a muscle car guy. So uh, that's uh, that's something that I, I really enjoy is playing with fast cars. Yeah, well, you, you gave me a ride in your fast Cobra, if you recall, about eight or nine, ten years ago when I went to talk to your staff. And I, I still think my handprints are gripped into the Front part yeah. Of the, of the, well, <laughs> you're nine feet. You're nine feet tall. Fitting in that Mustang wasn't very easy, but it was a lot of fun. Exactly. So now, so now you, you, you know, obviously we're both health system people, and and then you know all of a sudden I get a text one day saying, or actually you called me and said, hey, I'm taking this job at APHA. And when I first I thought, oh wow, and then secondly I thought, you know, good for you. You're uh, you're really a perfect fit. So. So how did those skills that you grew in those 20 some odd years as a health system leader prepare you for the job uh, at APHA? Yeah, great. Well, you know, Bob, it's, you know, as a chief pharmacy officer and director of pharmacy before that in Minnesota, I mean, you're, you're an executive, right? You're a business right. person. You're, you're running both clinicals. So you understand pharmacy practice. Now I'm pretty moved. You know, when you wouldn't want me rounding on your mom in an ICU. <laughs> the day I could do that. But, you know, it's all about business and, and everything, Bob. You know this. Life's about relationships. You, you work with key physicians. You work with senior administration. You work with nurse leaders. You work with your pharmacists. So all those skills, it's the same thing. So when you go, I'm, I'm running a business, right? Uh, so mm -hmm. I... I, I had business skills. I started, especially pharmacy. I'm starting new business lines here. It's the same thing. Relationships, right? Now, instead of one boss, I got 15 because I've got a board of trustees. But again, sure. it, it's all about relationships, you know, and they all need a little bit different communication and all that. The other thing, Bob, it's it's marketing, right? Uh, right. People at Ohio State, if you want more resources, you have to prove what you've done, right? So you're not only the chief pharmacy officer, you're the chief marketing officer. I was right. too. You know, we went from two to 28 embedded pharmacists and ambulatory clinics, uh, you know, medicine and specialty. But I had to brag about pharmacy. I'm like, you know what? Everywhere we put a pharmacist, our hemoglobin A1Cs are better in those clinics than the other ones. So, you know, you got to tell the story. And, and APHA, 
has done a lot of good work, but they weren't very good at honking their own horn, you know. And I always figure from a marketing perspective, if nobody knows, it didn't happen, right? That the, the Health and Human Services came out and said pharmacists can vaccinate pediatric patients. They came out and, and said pharmacists can uh, do COVID testing. COVID. Why? Right. Because APHA and some other organizations, if APHA was not involved, that would not have happened. My government relations person was in daily contact with them. And, you know, so I want people to know that APHA was intimately involved with that and it wouldn't have happened. Right. Okay. So, so people are like, what do national organizations do? Boom. That's a big example. Yeah. They, and that's part of what we want to talk about today is kind of how do leaders blend the two. How do they become involved in uh, or these professional advocacy efforts? But then how do they also continue to do their job back at home? So, um, yeah, I mean, we again, you know, you you, you certainly you, you ran the, the largest uh, pharmacy business, uh, health system pharmacy business in the world. And. I would agree. It is all about relationships. I have found as I have rolled out multiple programs here around credentialing, around uh, specialty pharmacy, is that my relationship with physicians has really been the key to the success of the Ohio State program because physicians help to drive resource and help to drive patient care uh, initiatives. Who are the folks that help to drive some initiatives at APHA? Is it the board of trustees? Is it key pharmacy leaders? Is it your government like, who is it? Yeah, all of the above, right? Now, I'm blessed because, you know, I I, um, I got recruited because of, you know, all the advocacy I'd done that you kind of referred to, earlier, you know, so I wasn't looking for a job. They called me and, and I thought, you know, I, Bob, you've heard me say it before. I'm always like, I like the advocacy stuff and I did a lot of it. You can, you know, you can't forget where your paycheck came comes from and, right. and mine came from the clinic. So if we didn't have good, safe processes and great clinical services, then I wouldn't be able to be in the Wall Street Journal and writing op-eds and Time and Newsweek and, and, and all that. Right, um, so, right. But, but it's there, you know, an example I like to use of how you get things done and who's important, and you just mentioned it. So I worked closely, obviously, with the Ohio Pharmacy Association, like you did. And, yes. you know, mm-hmm. I really helped lobby hard when we uh, got our better collaborative practice uh, law a few years ago. And, and Antonio, uh, right. I hired at APHA right. since then, all the good work he's done. But then, you know, the first, we, we failed a few years before we got that passed. And we had pharmacists going down and talk to legislature. Well, it sounds self-service when, self-serving when pharmacists are talking. So, like you said, we got, I got Toby Cosgrove, the former CEO, probably the yes. best known yes. CEO in the last 20 years. I said, Toby, we need to do this. I told him why I gave him a PowerPoint. He's like, okay, this is our number one legislative priority for whatever that was, 2015. We put a lobbyist on it full time. And that time, though, we had physicians go talk, right? And OSMA, the Ohio Medical Association, was opposed to it at first. Well, we worked on from the inside. Uh, Dan Sullivan, a uh, medicine physician who had a pharmacist in his clinic, loved pharmacists. He was the PAC chair for OSMA, so he worked from the inside. We had other hospitals and health systems physicians get, and then physicians talked about how cool pharmacy was. We're doing the same thing now. I, uh, I was on uh, one of the, uh, I don't know, was the, OPA meeting where they had all the insurance executives, right? Because oh yeah, years, right? So you got the CEO of United Healthcare Ohio and Moline and CareSource. All of them are on video saying we're paying pharmacists because yeah, we got to pay pharmacists, but medical costs are going down and quality is perfect. So now, right now, for provider status for payment, I'd say payment for provider status is part of that. We're getting CEOs of, of uh, insurance companies to talk about pharmacy. Uh, but, you know, but AMA was very, they were fighting behind our backs uh, when we were trying to lobby sure. 
the stimulus package, get pharmacist provider status. You know, so I went after them in the media and they backed off. But, you know, we got to work with people. Sometimes you got to take them on. The other thing is I've got an amazing board of directors. Okay. Michael Hogue. Oh, my God. I thought I knew a lot of people. I thought you knew a lot of people. This guy knows everybody. He knows everybody I know and everyone else. He's on this immunization task force, which is helping figure out the national plan. And uh, my is Sandra Leal. Oh, my God. My, my I'm leveraging the heck out of, you know, some people want to manage their board and control them. I'm not going to mention any organizations by name. You know, here I'm like, damn, leverage these guys. Use them for good. Don't don't hold them back. Right. Don't try to put them in a box. Then you've got an Ohio State grad, Alex Larkey. And Alex is awesome. I actually did a podcast with him, Scott, and I think he'll uh, I think he will perform. He'll be great. He'll be an outstanding board yeah, uh, he's a good guy, absolutely. And you know, I'm uh, uh, we have not historically been very strong in health systems. Clearly, I'm there. And now we brought one of the guys you used to work, Raphael, right? Uh, he's there. Right, right. We're we're creating programming for health systems, and we're going to be a home for health system leadership. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, COVID, like you said, COVID changed everything for us, and you, you know, coronavirus infections. Like we've got this bug now that we've got to deal with for the next probably two to three years in terms of uh, getting people, keeping people safe and vaccinations, et cetera. Those, you know, it's obviously shifting our priorities in, in within pharmacy. Well, what are some of the uh, other top priorities that you can see us facing? Yeah. You know, everything is interrelated, right? So COVID, the gold standards, you know, uh, they talk, to me, I'm trying to say payment reform and provider status because provider status for Medicare, yeah, that's the gold standard, but you have Ohio provider status and you don't have to have a law paid if you can demonstrate to insurance companies that paying pharmacists is going to reduce costs. So it's all about payment reform and that incorporates the issues, you know, the community pharmacists can't compete with the vertically integrated oligopolies, the insurance companies own the PBMs, own, own the pharmacies. So those are all things. And but so we're baby steps, right? So we're getting uh, COVID testing, pharmacists paid to do that. We're, you know, pharmacists paid to, to do immunization. It's kind of like a test and treat, right? To come in. Right, you know, right, right. So it's, it's it, you know, they tried to do all at once and I still want to do that and we're fighting it, but we're going incremental. I'll take wins anywhere we can get. And Ohio is helping us with a lot of wins. So, and we'll talk later about the payment uh, summit. I'm going to get insurance executives together for them to say how cool pharmacy is. But, Bob, you know this as well as I do. Before COVID, what were we talking about? What Every business that we're talking about AI and big data, right? That's not going away, right? Uh, they were talking business health. Oh, my God, COVID's, you know, supercharged that, right? I like fast cars, superchargers. Yeah, you know, just, it's supercharged. Yes. <laughs> you know, so, um yeah. Kind of an example, not to interrupt, is, uh, you know, we implemented, honestly, we implemented a pharmacy telehealth program yep. here at the medical center within three weeks, Scott, when it's been taking us years to even get the concept rolling. So yeah. that is a perfect example of how the pandemic has really helped us to accelerate our decision making. It's also removed layers. It's removed boundaries. I mean, it is, it, yeah, I mean, it has really done so much for that. And so, so you see us sort of, inter this is an interrelated 
yep. priority around COVID that will springboard us into other initiatives. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so at the clinic, we were really wrestling before I left to get paid for telehealth. And that's the only thing you could do, right? You couldn't go uh, for any non-emergent procedures. So that opened up insurers, started paying. Uh, I, yeah. I was back in my place in Ohio doing yard work in the you know it's woods in the back, and I wound up with poison ivy. I've had it 100 times. I knew what it was. So I called the doc, you know, got my iPhone out. They looked at my rash and called in steroids, uh, you know, and it was, it's so convenient as a consumer, right? And finally, mm, yeah. MTM, we can, you know, do all kinds of cool things. You know, the other thing. I was uh, I was kind of spoiled, you know, just like you working a world class healthcare system, and uh, uh, you know at the clinic. But I went to uh, D.C. and we don't have Cleveland Clinic there, but Hopkins is there, so I saw a Cleveland Clinic doc. I tell you what, they punched me in, and they had Epic. We had, it just brought all my medical records for the last nine years there, you know. So I think data, pharmacists having access to data, that's why your wow. pharmacists in retail, especially Bob, my pharmacists at Cleveland Clinic. Do it. It's so much easier because I can see when was the last doctor's appointment. You know what are they on? You know, so I think that's something we got to do. Is how do we get community pharmacists more access to, to health data? The other thing I want to touch in all of these, Bob, they all roll up into payment reform. Right now, we have a crisis in our high volume community pharmacies, chain pharmacies. If you follow anything on social media, you know they're not getting back yes. breaks. They don't have any tech support, and it's just a machine, and people are getting burned out. But I've, you know, and, and we have well-being, and I don't mean anything negative against that. We have to help. But you know what? Having a meditation app is not going to solve the problem, right? Okay, maybe no. we'll sleep or be able to count sheep or something, and, and that's good. I'm not, I'm not trying to denigrate that. It sounds like I am. But we have got to get pharmacists paid for what if, – if Larry Merlot at CBS was paid to, you know, have pharmacists educate your mom about her diabetes, they do it. You know, so we, we've got to change the payment model, which is what you're doing here in Ohio. Yes, exactly. And I'm really proud of what we're doing. And obviously, Ohio State's involved with that with people like Stu Beatty, Jen Rodas, and obviously Antonio, yep. who has uh, really revolutionized. He's really kind of, he's a game changer kind of a guy. And uh, I'd like to get him on a podcast. Yeah, that's why That's why we hired him. I know. I'd like to get him on a podcast to talk about some things. He'd be a lot of fun to talk about, to talk to as well. Um you know, one of the things that I, I, I ran across the other day, now that I'm thinking about it, we didn't really talk about it before the interview, but um, the, late, the Bureau of Labor Statistics was reporting a projected 3% 3, 3 decrease in jobs for, uh, for pharmacists for the next, you know, 10, 10 years, which is sort of kind of shifted to more of a doom and gloom kind of a message. Um, you know, what, are, what is your, you know, is that just an ebb and flow? I mean, is that, I mean, what, what is your sense about that statistics? Great question. And, you know, the thing, Bob, you know, you and me, uh, your residents, not so much. When you get gray hair or when your hair starts to fall out and you've been around the block, yes. you seem to, you remember about 1996 or five, the Pew Commission, Bob, you remember that? Yeah, I remember that. They said they said they were mm -hmm. going to be, we were going to be overstaffed by how many, 100,000 pharmacists or something. Well, that didn't happen. Just the exact opposite happened, you know. And, you know, right now uh, there are issues and it's not because there are less pharmacy jobs as much. 
it's because we start producing so many more. And you and I have also mm-hmm. been around enough. So, you know, the supply demand, it's like a sine wave, Bob. You know, you got, we didn't have enough. Right, we right. were getting double digit increases, which you and I benefited from and everybody did. Salaries went up. So guess what? They opened more pharmacy schools and the schools that didn't open new ones expanded their class size. And University of Minnesota had the Duluth campus. And we got seven colleges of pharmacy in Ohio now. And guess what? Now there's an oversupply. And already there's one that lost her accreditation, a couple more on the level. We're going to lose some. So, you know, it's, it's, it's up and down, unfortunately, for our new grads. Yes, we have a bit of an oversupply right now that, you know, I mean, it's, it's economics. It's going to change uh, over time. Uh, does it suck for a while? Absolutely. But also, you know, how do you adapt and how do you take on new roles that maybe you wouldn't have gotten into? And we've got all the telepharmacy you just talked about. You know, there's a lot of things that we can do. And if we get pharmacists paid for insurance, you know, there's more opportunities there, Bob. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish. At, you know, the other thing we didn't talk about is work conditions, you know, a little bit. I mean, that's terrible. Um, but that's one of the problems yes. right now. You know, they're cutting hours. Uh, it's, 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 it, but it's not, I mean, the sky is not falling. It will get better. The sun will come up. Uh, uh, we got a glorious profession because of all the leaders like Cliff Lachelet, right? Helped build our profession yes. for us. And he trained my mentor, Harold Godwin and, and all yes. that. Harvey A.K. Whitney and Donald Frank, all these people. And uh, Mary Alice, right? Uh, who just won the Remington Award from Ohio. All oh, absolutely. They have created, so there's there's going to be more opportunities. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on pharmacy, but we, we have to fight and we have to advocate uh, and we have to take it back, uh, you know, or, or it won't be the great profession that we inherited. We won't be able to take it through. Exactly. Yes. It's a, those are great points. So then to that point, then uh, how does a busy, you know, pharmacy leader, how, how do they divide their time between, you know, staying at home and doing their job and maybe getting out and doing advocacy, belonging to a professional organization, serving on a committee, maybe serving as president of ASHP or APHA? What's what's the secret? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, I got a couple answers uh, for you, Bob. You know, I have a few things I say sort of all the time. Some of my residents call them Scottisms. Uh, one of them is <laughs> don't forget where your paycheck comes from, right? There's times, okay, when COVID hit and you had to open a field hospital, then you probably didn't want to be mm-hmm. gallivanting all over the world, you know, uh, uh, going to meetings. You couldn't, I guess, anyway, so that, that sells, sells. But, you know, you, you have to do both, you know. So when you start a new job, uh, you really, you know, you need to focus on things. Once you get things going a little bit better, it doesn't mean you can't be involved. I have another one, Bob, another, I guess, Scottism now that I didn't have before. And I really, I kind of I kind of have the philosophy of of both. Most things in life are not either or. I'll use a silly example. Yeah. Fun. I'm like, God, I don't know. Should I get a supercharged Camaro or a supercharged Shelby Mustang? I got both. You know, I mean, <laughs> why decide? You know, so can I have what I think was one of the best pharmacy enterprises on earth, the Cleveland Clinic, or do I get involved in advocacy and national? Both. You can do both. And I would argue, Bob, that, that you can't be a great leader if you aren't involved, because if you're inbred and all you know is Cleveland Clinic, uh, and I'm not saying I got to be careful. I mean, they were a little bit that way. Okay. They, they didn't have a national presence. Uh, most of the staff, Sam had never given a national talk. 
No one there right. was involved in, in now, my God, they're on every busy ASHP committee and they're going to be on yeah. the PHA committees going forward. But 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 it's better because, you know, some of those best calls I have the busy executive committee. I have to get on a call every two weeks with leaders from around the country. And you got Rita Shane. She's coming up with crazy crap I would have never thought about. You know, we called her Radar Rita. She knew stuff like the coal mine. The first time I ever heard about REMS was like a year before I heard it from anyone else was from Rita. So if you aren't involved, yeah. you don't know what's going on, you know? And so I, I think you have to do both. Now, there's times in your life, maybe, you know, you're coaching your kid's junior high team or whatever. Yeah, you don't have to go all out all the time. The great thing about our profession is these are all volunteer organizations. All you got to do is like, hey, put me in, coach, especially state societies. They're like, they're volunteers. They need help. They're like, oh, yeah, do this. It's so easy to get involved. You know, to your point, I've been involved in the Vizient Pharmacy Executive Committee. Obviously, I was on the sort of the VHA Novation yeah. group, and then uh, and then it's, it uh, emerged with the UHC group, and now we're one group, and Rita's on that group, and uh, and it's it, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, we you know we connect uh, about a lot of things. Rita and I talk. Uh, we talked maybe right around the pandemic time because she was supposed to come out here to do a uh, do the ASHP Visiting Leader Program. But, you know, I, I would absolutely agree in terms of the local society. I was president of the Central Ohio Society just a few years ago because it wasn't a bit, it wasn't, a, you know, a huge time commitment and it was really a lot of fun. I've been involved in some OSHP things as well. So, yeah, I, I understand you, you can definitely do both. It's just that sometimes people get themselves wrapped up leaders in particular. They may get themselves in a situation where there's a new boss and all of a sudden you've got to explain to the new boss, okay. Uh, you know, I, I belong to this committee and it takes me out of the, you know, out of the you know mix for like two days every other month, whatever. And then, uh, you know, the new boss is like, well, what do you mean? And, you know, and there's so there's this back back and forth. And then maybe you go sideways with your new boss. And the next thing you know, you know, there's some issues between you and your boss and you got to make a decision. If you got boss issues, you got to deal with those because how many I, I, I'm not going to name any names, but I, I can think of two high profile people that lost their jobs in the last couple of years because they didn't get along with their bosses, you know, and you got to be smart enough to know, Hey, right now. And the other thing is, you know, how many bosses have you had since you've been chief pharmacy officer at multiple organizations, they turn over a lot of time, right? A lot. Yeah. A lot. But don't push their buttons, you know, and, um, yeah. And yeah. And I say a couple other things on that, Bob, you know, so maybe you aren't president of everything, but I'm going to turn this around on you because I like to do some writing I'm a lightweight next to you. Your CV is like 500 pages of good writer, you know. But how have you found time? Now, granted, you're in academia, so that's probably something you get graded on. Yeah. You know, but but the writing, right, that takes time, and that's yeah. the contribution to the literature. It's a great question, Scott. I, I do it at home, I, you know, on a Saturday evening, you know, when I mean, my wife's watching TV, my kids are, my, well, when my kids were around, they were doing other stuff, and I would just from eight to 10 or eight to 11, I'd sit at my computer and I'd sometimes be watching TV and writing. I needed some more dedication. I'd go, but I'm also, I also got very good at it and I got very fast at it. So I got more proficient. So the time I spent was much better used. So that's part of it too, is that how you do your job. I think, I think the key is and what I'm hearing you say, and, I, and this is really an important lesson for our listeners, is that you've got to uh, have your shop in order, but then have can develop your people and yep. develop your processes to meet the needs to meet the needs of what your patients require, and then 
work through the people above you to coordinate your time out of the office in an effective way. And if your boss sees that things are getting done and you're still keeping connected to them and you're not like, oh, hey, where's uh, Scott? Well, Scott's traveling today. You know, you know, obviously the next week, where's Scott? Well, he's out at another meeting. So, you know, you don't get that kind of scenario going on. Then I think that's a successful scenario, you know, successful way to do it. Well, in the clinic with my boss, that's exactly what happened. At first, um, you know, I gave my team a lot of exposure nationally. You got right. it. You know, if you're all about yourself, right. you're so much better. By and 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 right now, okay, I, I just had uh, uh, Lisa, my head of government affairs, did a blog on Rutledge versus PCMA, and we put that over social media. You know, she's a JD. Farm D. She worked 30 years in the FDA, had 450 people. She's amazing. I want people to know. And and if people see, damn, Scott's got Antonio, you know, he's got Raphael, got Elisa, mm-hmm. he's got, you know, Dan, all these amazing people. It makes you look better. So people, insecure people can't be good leaders, right? So if you're secure, Correct. you let your people succeed and you don't do it for that reason, but it makes you look better. So my boss was like, my God, you got, you know, I put, I mean, he, I had Mandy Leonard, I got Sam Calabrese, I got Don Carroll. Right. I got so many people. He's like, you have got such depth. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, you know, but Sam's going to be in. The, the one time Sam and I were both going to be out, he's like, you know, I don't know. I'm like, well, Don Carroll can take care of our man. He's like, man, how deep are you guys? You know, uh, you know, so, but you got to build credibility and trust and and all. But you, you touch on yeah. something very important, you know, is that first things first. When I, I wrote my first, re- I'd written before, but my first real breakout article that got a lot of attention was uh, when practice model reform was coming out. And we already did it in Minnesota. So I wrote an article. I don't know, something about practice model reform in a major academic medical center. Your residents should all read it. Uh, but but I said in there, you you can't be, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? I, I'm a psych degree from early on. And the first thing, <laughs> if, you don't have, if you don't have food and shelter, right, you can't have right, later steps. Right. You can't be reading philosophy and have self-actualization. And that's how it is at work. If you can't, if you don't have good operations, then having great clinical services don't matter if you safely and effectively can't get drugs to patients. So you got to build that base, you know, and you can do a little bit outside, but you got to, especially a lot of times, why do you get hired as a chief pharmacy officer and office guy? Because it's a mess, right? Um, so when you come in, you got to, you got to put the time in, you know, but. Uh, oh, exactly. And I think what we've talked about today really hopefully will, will ring uh, true with everybody listening, obviously taking care of business, integrating, your advocacy along with your work, making sure your shop's in order, having good relationships with people and your boss, empowering your team, all those things are super important to getting to the ultimate goal of you as a pharmacy leader being able to advocate for our profession. I, I know you've done that very well with your with your transparent with your you know pricing transparency fights you had with people and the pricing issues. And, you know, it's just, it was really, um, you know, a testament to your ability to empower Sam. I mean, he's not to talk about people on the podcast, but Sam, I mean, you've, we've, you've helped him grow into a role now where he's running the Cleveland Clinic Pharmacy Enterprise. Well, he was, when I right? left, I mean, I mean, it was, they were, you know, and it was kind of funny because my boss, when I, I told my boss was great. I actually told my boss, he offered a lot, you know, my boss, that's the kind of relationship I had that, you know, he knew I obviously he's like, wow, you got to look at that. And he said, you know, have him call me. I'll give you a letter. So that's the kind of relationship you want with your boss. But I told him, I said, you know, I said, you know, if I were you, I, I'd totally hire Sam. And at first he said, what he said was, you know, you and Sam are a great team because you've got vision and Sam, you know, gets everything done. You're a great team. I said, Bob, I think or, I, I, even though I call everyone by their first name, all our physicians, except Dr. Wiley, I just, it's like a, like a, a daddy father figure or something, you know, he's, 
I, I called Toby Cosgrove Toby, but it's still Dr. Wiley for me. But uh, but uh, but I'm like, I said, you know, nine years ago when I started, that was absolutely true. I said, but now I rattled off all the stuff, Sam. So I said, Sam's got vision, you know, and we'll talk about vision later. But uh, and uh, it's kind of funny because then I also I'm always helping my people out. I said, well, you know what? Actually, it'd be really good for me because if you don't hire Sam, he could get any CPO job in the country. If you don't hire him, I'm going to hire him at APHA. The next time I saw my boss, they're like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I've got to recruit for HR purposes, but I'm going to hire Sam. <laughs> so, you know, but you got to work it for you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and Sam earned it on his own. Oh, Sam did funny. not get that job because I prepped him. Sam proved himself. You know what I mean? Oh no, he's a great he's a great guy, and I know that when when COVID hit, and uh, we all we we would have weekly, uh, biweekly calls. It would be me, uh, Ohio Health Children's, um, Mount Carmel, and you know other play. And Sam was on our call, and it was a it was a joy. He he knew everything that was going on. He was focused. Um, yeah, he he was, he was awesome. Well, the other thing um, about that, Bob, that being secure, you know, when, when I leave, I'm not at Cleveland Clinic more. Now, I call Sam regular. We're good friends, but I don't tell him what to do. You know, he don't need me to be in the way. The last thing he needs is the old guy trying to weigh in. I'm like, get out of his way. And I'm, I'm like, if you got a question, call me. But, you know, you know, and, and don't ever ask yourself, what would Scott do? Say, what should Sam do? You know, and, and Right. He's going to take it to new heights I never even thought were possible. And that makes me feel good, right? I don't want it to fall apart after. I leave. You're not a good leader if you leave and the place goes to crap. But you create something sustainable because you have people there and it continues and prospers even better when you're gone, then you're a good leader. Yeah, no, I would absolutely agree. Scott, if you, uh, and this is a question, uh, if you had 10 minutes, uh, a national, let's say, Scott, we want to put you on CNN for 10 minutes to talk about American pharmacy. What would, what, what would be your message? It would absolutely be the value pharmacists have and that we need to uh, reward them appropriately, change the payment models so that pharmacists can do what they went to school for, which is improve safety, quality, and decrease healthcare costs. So, I mean, in a nutshell, that would be it over yeah. and over. I talk about all the ways they're doing that and that pharmacists value is moderate. We are the drug therapy experts. And, you know, so it's, it, it's all about, I would, it would be payment reform, but I would put it in a way so that the audience could understand it about reducing healthcare costs and improving quality and, and making patients safe. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's really a great message. And kind of to dovetail into that, what, uh, what do you want your legacy to be, Scott? I mean, you've done so much and Somebody like yourself, who was incredibly successful, again, you know, very, very well known around pharmacy circles now because you are the CEO of, uh, of a very large organization. Uh, what, 40, 55,000 pharmacists in APHAs? Yeah, something like that. I don't know the exact number. So now what is your legacy? What, what do you want your legacy? Well, there's there's a couple parts of that, right? I mean, we've all got our personal <laughs> legacy and our, our families. And, you know, um, and I, I would say a big, when I look, the greatest example of a legacy that I can ever see uh, is, you know, the example of Harvey A.K. Whitney, right? So he started the Michigan program, trained a bunch of people, uh, and and including Donald Frankie, who trained a bunch of right. people, including Cliff Latchley, who trained a bunch of people, including Harold Godwin, who started the Kansas program, trained a bunch of people, including me, who started the Minnesota and the Cleveland Clinic programs, and now at APHA. So, so I think you leave a legacy of people, you know, but you also leave mm -hmm. a legacy of change, you know. So, I will pharmacy be 
better off than it was when I inherited. Will pharmacists practice at a higher level because I was APHA? I know, I feel that hospital pharmacists practice at a better level. We have new technology. We have IV robotics, right? We were a, a, a leader there, uh, practice model. We did so many international. We built a hospital out We changed healthcare in the Middle East. I like to think I had an impact on healthcare in an entire region in the Middle East. We're doing the same thing in London, you know? So I think the legacy, it's it's hard to pin down. Uh, it's the people in, in practice advancement. And I think another legacy, Bob, you've got a big one here, is, is writing. I I, uh, I never knew I was a writer in high school, college. I didn't, you know, um, but I think I've been able to, you know, put some things in writing that are hopefully a little inspiring and, and tell some good stories. So absolutely. And kind of be uh, seen from, you know, kind of read by people in you know, years to come. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate, you know, that legacy. And I've thought much the same for myself in this, in the Ohio State program. It's it's a stronger program than when I came uh, because just because of the evolving uh, importance of the pharmacy enterprise. I think I, when I see, when I think about your legacy, Scott, I obviously I think about, and for me, obviously my family, your family, but I think your legacy is really developing the concept of the pharmacy enterprise. I, you know, obviously you wrote the seminal article in AJHP about it. And, and I see that's your legacy one part of your legacy, and obviously the next part will be how you change the practice of pharmacy across the entire nation, which will indeed impact the entire world. So, yeah, um, you know, and you go through phases, Bob, you right. You had different things to become an expert on. And for a while, it was practice model from we transformed it in Minnesota. Now, you've seen one practice model, you've seen one. If I, if I would have tried to do the same thing at Cleveland Clinic, I would have got run out in six months. But we did transform things over time. I think I robotics. We were a huge leader there. Uh, you know, uh, I think specialty pharmacy, we were an early one right. to build that. I was trying to build a 503B, you know, so there's there's a lot of different areas uh, there, but uh, certainly the pharmacy enterprise and Marianne Ivey first came up with the concept of the pharmacy enterprise. Harold Godwin first referred to the term chief pharmacy officer. I formally defined it in the literature, and I think I showed how you put it all together and how Running an enterprise, your job is to make sure all parts, clinical, operational, inpatient, community, specialty, all works together. And I think, and that's what I'm doing at APHA, right? We have JAFA, which, by the way, has a higher impact factor than that other journal I used to be part of. And, uh, you know, so we got the journal, we got the practice side, we got the government affairs, we got all kinds of programming, we own BPS. So my job is to leverage all of it, just like we did at the clinic, and make it function like a finely tuned, well-oiled machine. And I know that it will. And we've come to, speaking of well-oiled machines, we've come to the end of our time. Yes, I'm having too much fun, Bob. I was having a lot of fun. And I always like to talk to you as I tell people, Scott Knorr is my brother from another mother. So, uh, you know, again, Scott, thank you so much. And uh, most importantly, be safe out there. I'm assuming you sort of get around a little bit with your job. A little bit, yeah. Maybe maybe a little bit. So just just be safe when you're you're doing it. And uh, one more, if you will. Just because I know we've talked about this in other podcasts and you, you referenced it, but I think when you talk about how do you balance things, you know, and uh, the millennials get a bad rap. Millennials are our future. But, you know, they talk about, oh, they want to be the CEO tomorrow without putting time in. And, all that stuff. and the, the, you know, a lot of and sometimes in residency interviews, one of the first questions I get is about work life balance. And I like to you know, if you said, Scott, how are you doing work life balance? If you looked objectively at the number of hours that I put in my job, 
say this guy is unbalanced. You might say that in a lot of ways about me. I mean, a lot of people have said that. But <laughs> but if you look at it, you know, I am my I was the chief pharmacy officer at Cleveland Clinic. I am the CEO at APHA. And I love it. Now I probably got a couple friends who aren't pharmacists, not many. Bob, you're a good friend. We've gone to football games. We tailgated. I've stayed at your house. You know, you stayed at my, you've been here where you're driven in my Shelby. But, but I have this relationship. I have people all over the country and now all over the world. You know, so you can have it all. You can have both a dynamite career and a rewarding personal life. Mine just happened to be the same. I see. That is the perfect advice to end on. And again, Dr. Scott Knorr, CEO of APHA. It's Scott, I, as always, appreciate the time together with you. It's always a lot of fun, a lot of laughs. And uh, thank you again for joining us and have a great and safe rest of the week. Thanks so much, Bob. Make sure all those residents listening are APHA members. And we will. Thank you again, Scott. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Leadership Lessons in Health System Pharmacy. And if you found this interview helpful to your own professional development, please do us a favor and share the good news with your colleagues and leave us with a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts each and every week.